Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Ali and Cavett, The Tale of the Tapes, follows Muhammad Ali's life through his career through the lens of numerous appearances on The Dick Cavett Show. From winning the gold medal in the 1960 Olympics, to winning the heavyweight championship against Sonny Liston in 1964, to joining the Nation of Islam, refusing induction into the U.S. Army, and his legendary battles in the ring with Joe Frazier and George Foreman, Muhammad Ali remained a unique and powerful force in popular culture. In addition to his 53-year-long friendship with Dick Cavett, this is a wonderful film. It's so warm and loving, and it's so great to see not only Muhammad Ali, but it's also great to see Dick Cavett not only doing what he did so well, but in this very humanizing look at his relationship with one of the greatest athletes and one of the greatest Americans of all time. We're joined today by Dick Cavett. If you don't know about his show from his his interview talk show back in the 60s, into the 70s, and into the 80s, I don't know where you've been. It's one of the greatest uh, greatest television shows of all time. And here he is with us today here on Film School. Dick Cavett, welcome to Film School. Gee, I can't stay any longer. <laughs> I, know that, I know that was a bit long-winded, wasn't it? Um, the interview was a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I was thinking when you were saying all that, that uh, somebody showed me a a page once that had, I think, 12 portraits, photographs of everybody from uh, Mickey Mouse to Santa Claus to Elizabeth Taylor to all of the biggest stars in any field and Ali. And they spread this thing around the world. And the only one that everybody knew, yeah. the only one, who people who didn't know anybody else, <laughs> didn't know John F. Kennedy, didn't know the Beatles, the, was, they would say Ali. Yeah. Uh, even a Bantu tribesman. <laughs> yeah. Ali, Ali. Uh, he simply became the most famous person in the world at the time he lived. Well, in addition to the fact that he was the heavyweight champion of the world, which was sort of a thing back then, not the same as it is today, why do you think that is the case? I don't know, but it occurred to me when I was thinking about you, or talking this way, that um, can you find anyone who, if your life depended on it, can tell you who the heavyweight champion of the world is today? Of course, some. But the fact that every... Yeah, undiscovered native tribes and could tell who Ali was. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, who is the heavyweight champion of the world, by the way, in case somebody asks me? It, I think it, it depends on who you ask. Uh, it used to be uh, the the two, the Russian, which I, his name just left oh, yeah. my head, uh, Chitlikov or whatever it was. Uh, yeah. And I don't know. I honestly don't know. So yeah. I, yeah. I'll just speculate the fact that the United States was in some ways at the zenith of its world in terms of affecting world culture 
and media and the rest of it. It was probably at near the height of, of our reach around the world. And along comes this man who transcended everything in American society in, in one way or another, athleticism, his, his personality, everything else. That may explain some of it, but um, it was, it was, he was a magical person. So, Yes, you know, there are people who say uh, so-and-so was so great when you were standing near them, you could sort of feel something coming from them, like corny stuff. <clears throat> but it was true with Ali. He, he, I think they could find some scientific measurement of the fact that he radiated some really real yeah. power just standing there. Yeah. Um, How, what a good eye. What, what, what was your first uh, meeting with him? Was it before the show? No, um, it would have been the first show that I did with him way, way, way back. And um, I shook hands with him backstage and then went on. And uh, I, I think we probably... I don't know what explains how we bonded, but we did very quickly. And uh, and he used to kid me, and I would kid him, and it quickly became a, f- a friendship that was... Uh, um, I-, I felt sometimes like he was my best friend. Yeah. Well, as someone watching it, uh, I would tell you... I would say my observation is, first of all, you're both very intelligent people, and I think you probably connected on that level. But also you were you were honest with one another. From It feels like from the first interview we, we see in the film through the end, uh, it felt like you had an, a, a real honesty about your who you were and who they were. Is that fair? Yes, I think that's true. And he, he was also, uh, he was better with me. Sounds strange for me to say that. But you see clips on other shows, he's also... Uh, cutting up and being funny thing, but some, somehow with me, I, I don't know, I relaxed him in some way, or uh, I, I'll never know exactly what it is, but I know that he stayed at my house one night. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great story in the film. If you want to say something about the details, that's fine, but it's in the film. By the way, we're, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are talking oh. about a film that's opening at this. Uh, it's premiering at the South by Southwest Film Festival. It's called Ali and Cavett: The Tale of the Tapes. Um, Tale of the Tapes. Yeah. When when did you know you were friends? I think it was sort of the way he greeted me when he came back the second time, and somebody in his entourage said he just loved being here, and he. he we couldn't wait to get here. And I thought, are they kidding me? I mean, you could, I don't know where else he goes, but he, he seems to like coming here the best. It was very warming and flattering for me. So outside of the show, the first time, did you go out to dinner? How did sort of this friendship beyond uh, the, the, the time you're on your show, did you... How did you hang out? I know, I mean, you went to, I, in the film, we see you going to some of his training camps, you, you know, hanging around. But it was a, how did that manifest itself in your life? Well, one way was there was someone making a documentary with him out near my house on Long Island. And they said, uh, all these down the road, uh, we're having a terrible time with him. He's just so depressed. 
and he won't talk to anybody, and he just sort of stands on the cliff and looks out at the ocean. And maybe you could uh, help us. So I was glad to go. It was really, really very near the house. I ran down the road and up a cliff hill, and he he was standing there <laughs> looking out to sea like a statue. And when he saw me, he, he, he lit up. He just came out of his trance and said, oh, Dick Cavett, yeah, and uh, give me a big hug. And, and it, it brought him up. Wow. I wish now, talking to you right now, <laughs> that I had said, what do you like about me anyway? <laughs> just, just name four or five things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he would have been funny with whatever his answer was. Yeah. Well, well, in in and as the the case with any good friendship, you were also brutally honest with him at times. You, you see that in some of the interviews on the show, and in the sense he came, he would often come in to be playful, to with his braggadocio and behavior. But you also had a, a way of kind of zeroing in on things, and you were able to. There are a couple points in the film where you ask him some pretty tough questions about. And, and you respond to some of the things that he's saying in ways that would have made a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, Which one do you remember? That? The, the one when he came in and he was sort of parroting the the uh, um, uh, the Louis Farrakhan stuff. There was a point where you said, you've talked, now it's my turn. And it felt like you were sort of calling him oh, yeah. on something there. That sort of jolted me when I saw it. Too. Somebody's favorite line from it is, which is, is he talking about his beauty or looking in a mirror or something? I am told, I'm told, uh, and I saw that I said, full length mirror, you must have an orgasm. Yes. Uh, and yes. <laughs> he liked that. <laughs> he did. He mentioned it four or five times afterwards. <laughs> is that right? Well, he playfully, yeah, he got up and, and fake strangled you for saying that. I thought that was hilarious. Again, he was a very playful man. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And you well, had... that's it. He had a, well, he had a really, excuse me, but a really yeah. good sense of theatrical on-the-air playfulness as when he said to Fraser, help me, let's pick this guy up or whatever. He's, he, yeah. Yeah, he said, let's um, let's pretend to be friends for a minute and, and take care of this guy, meaning you. Yeah, you that's you, right. That's, yeah, yeah <laughs> That was great. That was such a wonderful... And again, I know that some of that uh, relationship that he had with, uh, at least initially, the 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 uh, relationship he had with Joe Frazier was a bit manufactured for, for the sake of the fights. But it's unfortunate in many ways just how it sort of seemed to really genuinely... Um, degrade into a, a real animosity towards one another. And I understand both sides of that, that the equation. It's yeah. That in itself is a story, yeah. But uh, when, he, when he called him boy, yeah. and then said, I said Roy, um, yeah. those those were harmless, playful moments. But there, I think the one point where he looks like he goes a little too far with Fraser, and I couldn't tell if Fraser was acting or was really mad. Well, well there, you, know, you kind of draw, take a breath and go, uh-oh. Yeah. Well, these are two of the greatest 
fist fighters, if you will, of all time. And, and there's always that specter of that's of that's a place that this could go. And uh, it, it, yeah, it's unfortunate. It just is unfortunate that they didn't uh, weren't able to kind of step back. But it became kind of a blood sport for them in those last two fights. It just really became something more than just a boxing match. It became something ugly you know, on a visceral level. Have you followed fighting boxing all your life? I have no. I followed Muhammad Ali. Besides that, I'm honestly pretty out of my element. If you yeah. want to talk about boxing, I followed Muhammad Ali because he... uh, well, here, here's a joke about fighting that will elude people of a certain age, possibly even you. I was on the Tonight Show with Carson, and uh, a, a fight was coming up. We were talking about it. And he said, "Do you know boxing, Richard?" And I said, my memory of uh, fighting dates from Lewis and Kahn up through the marriage of Ernest Borgnine and Ethel Merman. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this was stolen. Uh, that's wonderful. <laughs> well, yeah, by the way, we're speaking with Dick Cavett. We're talking about the film Ali and Cavett, The Tale of the Tapes. It's it's opening premiering, I should say, at the South by Southwest Film Festival. And you can go to the filmschoolradio.com website to find out all the different screenings are coming up this uh, next week. They start next Saturday, next weekend on the March. Check the check the website. We'll, we'll have them all up there. Uh, and you, you just reminded me of something that's in the film that I thought, I mean, pretty remarkable. You, before you became Dick Cavett talk show host, you were a writer. You wrote for um, a number of different well-known uh, talk shows, including, if I'm not mistaken, um, was it Steve Allen or I just... Well, you know, Jack Parr, Jack Parr. Um, That's it. actually, Jack. Uh, yes. he, he took over for Jack, for Steve, he followed Steve Allen, yes. and uh, Jack did the show for for all the impact he had. I was stunned to learn that he was only on it for five years. Wow. What was Johnny in 32 years or something? Yeah. Um, and then I wrote for Johnny and I wrote for Merv. And even Jerry Lewis. And then uh, they said, why don't we try that kid in that documentary that we didn't like, but he looks okay. Mm. He might be the one we're looking for to start a network 90-minute talk show in the daytime. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, th- so that, that's, that was what... Oh. Can you hear the sound effects department? <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what's, like, what's your name? It's, it's, it's the hound of the basketball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, good. Well, I'm glad that they were able to that, chime in. I, I, I appreciate that extra input. Uh, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's R- Riley, the, the dog. Riley. We'll say hi. to Michelle. Um, so well, let, let me let me go back, uh, Dick, because you were you had uh, you, in the film uh, Ali and and Cavett, you you mentioned to Muhammad Ali that you had written a couple of uh, a poems for him, which I thought was a really funny thing to see because he he had no yeah. idea he had no idea, uh, which was just wonderful. And for the Jerry Lewis show, which I didn't even know he had a talk show like or a variety show, I assume some kind. And it was short-lived, if you pronounce it that way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, oh, I don't know. It was only about, about six months or so. It was Saturday night, live, two hours live. Wow. And Jerry was brilliant on some nights and 
fisted away on other nights. Very strange man. Uh, and I think ABC is still paying it off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure back then those guys ran yeah. ran the shows. Yeah. Well, you wrote a, you wrote a, this poem for Muhammad Ali, and in the film we see him sort of befuddled when you mention it to him, and then we see a clip of him reading at least one of the poems that you you wrote for him. It was quite clever and wonderful. Yeah, that was uh, they built a, uh, a a Roman forum for him to speak, yeah. speak his poems in. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was great. It was great, and, you, and we we forget you're yeah you were a writer first, and then eventually you became yeah ninety minutes. It's hard to imagine that format and making it interesting night after night at, or day after day initially, and then night after night. Uh, what was it? How do you what do you attribute your ability to draw out people in interviews? What what is it in your background in your upbringing? What is it about your personality you're able to do that? You know, the only reason I did this with you today is hoping you could tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I, it was awful at the beginning. I just suddenly realized, now, this moment, I'm in charge of 90 minutes of television live, in effect, and I've never done it before, and there's the signal, and here we go. Oh and God. I just went, what do I do for 90 minutes? Uh, it went fast. Uh, but I managed to ad lib early on in a way that got a big laugh, yeah. and that saved me. Yeah. We had it. Uh, we had an ant expert on. His name was Elmer Bursby. Isn't that perfect for an ant expert? <laughs> nice, nice old gent. Yes. And when they cued me to introduce him, I heard myself say, "No show is complete without an ant expert." <laughs> <laughs> Mercifully, the audience and the producer laughed, and I thought, maybe I can do this. Then shortly after that, I'm looking at a guest and realizing his lips have stopped moving, <laughs> and I haven't heard anything that was said in the last, because they're signaling you from somewhere. Or yeah, you're going to commercial break or something, right? Ali was on my first show. Is that right? Yeah, oh. and so was Gore Vidal. So you can imagine with the Vietnam War on. Yeah. And I went back to be congratulated after that first show, and the network man said, nobody gives a shit what Muhammad Ali and Gorby Dell think about the Vietnam War. We can't air this. And I was stunned. But I taped another show, and they aired it as the first show, and it got nice reviews. Mm -hmm. Then they had to air the one they hated, and it got doubly nice reviews and saying the show really hit its stride on its second show. Wow. Well, it was its first show you did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. well, That's well, network. That was the beginning of, of network uh, hassling. Well, well, Mr. Cowan, I am going to contradict you in one something you just said a few minutes ago, which is I think one of the secrets, one of the greatest things about you as a – an interviewer is you do listen. I I can't not tell you how many times I would I would marvel at your ability in these conversations to be able to. You heard what they said, and you you'd either challenge them or you would take them in that direction, which is is really the key to any good interview is listening, as you know better than anyone, listening 
and going with what that person is talking about because that's what they're interested in talking about, right? That is a that is a very good point, and I should there fill in here that uh, about a week before I started the first show, Jack Parr called, and how you doing, kid? And he said, "Listen, kid, let me give you a piece of advice. Doing a show like this, don't do interviews." And I thought, I'm probably sad. What? <laughs> what, what would I do? Read read to the guests or uh, sing with them or? What? He said, no, 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 interviews, that's uh, Q&A and what's your favorite, this and that, and David Frost to sleep in front of his clipboard and reading it badly. Uh, it, <laughs> I love hearing. Um, make it a conversation, and that's what you were saying. Yeah, it uh, is. It, it, it's a, in fact, my joke sort of is, uh, a friend of mine said, you know what you're doing wrong, you've got your guest notes. You bring up the subject, they talk about it, and you go right to the next thing, and you don't comment on anything they said. Yeah. And I realized that. I saw myself. It wasn't quite this bad, but it was as if someone said, and we opened the lid of the old trunk, and you would never guess what greeted our eyes inside. And I would say, do you have any hobbies? It was just, it wasn't quite that bad, yeah. but it was bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I... I would love to talk to you all day long, Mr. Cabot. I cannot, uh, this is a truly, this is an honor to have you on okay. here, to having this conversation. Unfortunately, I have to wrap it up. Thank you, Mark. Uh, well, y- uh, you can drop the Mr. Cabot and call I, me Mr. Dick. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you're the first, uh, you're not the first guest to tell me that. <laughs> just, just say Dick once so I can hear you say it. Dick Cabot, Dick. Ah, there you go. True. Thank you so much, Nick, for being on okay, the show. The, the film is Ali and Cavett, Tale of the Tapes. It's screening at the South by Southwest Film Festival. I am just going to go home and uh, and just dance when I get home today because this has been an honor, and it's been better than I even could oh, have hoped for. Thank Lord. you. Thank you so much. Dick well, Bob Hope always said when he wasn't sure of the name, hey, my man, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. All the best. Good health to you, and I hope someday we can talk again about your career. I would be, be oh, I can't even tell you. Hopefully, that'll happen someday. Thank you, Dick. You have a hearty hand class. Yeah, we do. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Thank you, man. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.